Greetings, Community Solutions listeners. This is Jack Terman, Jr., your host for this podcast and a member of the faculty at Indiana University's Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences in the Richard M. Fairbanks School of Public Health in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thanks so much for listening and joining us. On behalf of all of the faculty, staff, and students in the department, I hope that you and yours are doing well and that your work to bring about healthy and hopeful communities is thriving. Today's episode and the next two will feature conversations with a variety of individuals that are doing brave, innovative work to address food insecurity in communities. A United Nations report released this past summer, summer of 2021, revealed that 2.3 billion people, that is approximately 30% of our global population, lacked a year-round access to adequate food. This measure teaches us the prevalence of moderate to severe food insecurity. This measure has increased in the past year as much as in the preceding five years combined. This, my friends, is a very serious consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic. It is something that we all need to dedicate ourselves to because it will be impossible for us to build healthy, hopeful individuals, families, communities, or societies if people are suffering from food insecurity. Today, we bring you inspiration because I'm going to Uh, share with you a talk that I had with an energetic, passionate college student named Robert Riley. Robert is a senior at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. During the pandemic, Robert took action to address food insecurity in his community by starting a student organization on campus called SAFE, which stands for Students advocating for food equity. I know that you will be inspired by Robert's and his colleagues' work to address food insecurity and hunger in their local community and starting all of this during a pandemic. I so admire his will to get going and to get action started to serve people. Robert and his organization represents the new generation of humanitarian leaders who are dedicated to bringing about change within our food systems. They are examples of individuals that are working diligently to ensure that all people have access to a healthy, affordable, balanced diet. Let's join their crusade and bring this to everyone we serve in our communities. 
Thanks for being here. Let's join the conversation. Hey, Robert, thanks a bunch for joining us today on the Community Solutions Podcast. Um, so how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Awesome. Awesome. So glad you're here. So, hey, Robert, um, can you tell our listeners what does SAFE stand for and what does it do? So SAFE, SAFE stands for Students Advocating for Food Equity. Um, we are a service club based at Ohio State, and we focus around food insecurity issues. Um, we put most of our effort into service hours. Uh, we do weekly volunteer events as long as we are able. Um, we go to things like community gardens, food pantries, uh, food drives. Sometimes we'll visit Habitat for Humanity to talk about affordable housing for a week but it's all aimed at kind of bringing awareness to food security issues and kind of alleviating some of uh, people's suffering, I guess. Yeah, wow, it's so great. And we all know that it's always important for our communities, but it's been especially made import important during the time of this pandemic. Um, what motivated you to start SAFE? Well, so at Ohio State, there's probably like, last number I heard, I'm pretty sure there's at least 2,000 student organizations. Um, of those, at least 500 service organizations. And me and my, I'm an environmental student, so me and my other environmental student friends are all kind of going on our third year here. Um, and we're unhappy with clubs that we were in. And kind of we're looking at each other like, you know, I, I bet we could do one better than some of these. And um, so we have some public health background and we know that, you know, you go where there is need. You know, if there's already four well-established organizations doing something, talking about something at Ohio State, you know, there's plenty of environmental organizations. So we were like, well, that's not necessarily, there's no new need for that. Um, and we were amazed to find out when we started to search for something that is not talked about, um, there is a food pantry on campus run by students. But other than that, there is no service organization that focuses just on food insecurity. And we thought that was um, amazing, but also you know heartbreaking that you've got thousands of organizations and none of them were talking about this. So we saw that it's kind of like the perfect opportunity for us to actually do something about it. You know, we only have four years here and that's a short, short time to, you know, make a difference. I'm realizing that as I'm applying for graduation and stuff like that. So, you know, you do the best that you can with what you have. So we had two years left and we decided that we were going to do something about it. So that's when we started safe and it's been amazing since then amazing two years that is great it's so admirable and you're a great model and inspiration to others around the world that you know just start doing it take action and do something and and you're making your time at the university incredibly meaningful not just for the university but for all the communities you serve so so proud of what you're doing that's really 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 wonderful. Um, what were some of the challenges to starting this and operating a club, especially during a pandemic? 
Um, <laughs> well, so just generally, uh, Ohio State is, I love Ohio State. Best thing I ever did was come here, but it's huge. So there's a lot of bureaucracy to doing anything. Yep. So dealing with that obviously was a little difficult, not, not too bad, but then once we officially became a club, um, the pandemic happened and we couldn't do anything in person and, you know, we're all scrambling. I was nervous that, um, you know, the people in the club were going to, and it would have been totally understandable if they would have said, you know what, given everything that's happening, uh, we're going to take a step back from this. Nobody did that though, which, um, I'm really grateful for that. The e-board uh, stuck it out. And then we basically just kind of uh, did Zoom meetings for <laughs> a year. Um, there were no, normally you would have an involvement fair where freshmen and sophomores come and they want to join a club and they're eager. And that's where you get the bulk of your, your body. Uh, we couldn't do that. They did an online involvement fairs, things like that. Um, but no one, no one goes to those, you know, you were doing all your classes on Zoom. No one wanted to do extra Zoom meetings. So uh, we had probably, we had seven e-board members and then we would do our Zoom meetings and we would be happy if we had 13 people on the, on the Zoom call and the e-board people had to come, you know? So if we got three guests, we were, we were ecstatic that we got new people. And um, since then, however, this year has been relatively normal. Um, last year we could not do in-person events except for the tail end and they were limited on how many people we could have and they were pretty angry at us for even doing them and stuff like that so I'm grateful to say that now we're doing much better great great well again congratulations you took a stance and you took action even in this very strange time that we live in. And clearly food insecurity only was heightened by the pandemic. So what you were doing became even more important. Um, so since all of this, since you, since you organized and created this great organization, what has been the response of the student body at Ohio State? Oh, so that has been, um amazing so like i said last year we had if we were lucky three you know new people and, and we could get people to come to volunteer events last year but this year um since we could do the involvement fair and we're back to in person um we have grown at least four times from our start last year four times as big um we have hundreds of people on our email list uh, hundreds in our uh our group me which is one of our primary communication channels. Um, when we post our weekly volunteer events now, uh, you know, you should be begging friends to come. Now um, they fill up in 20 minutes and we have to turn them off. And this is kind of a problem that we didn't foresee coming. We're, you know, now we're kind of talking about, okay, can we do two events in the same day, can we go to different places? You know, we're, we're the biggest challenge this year has been to accommodate too many people, which I, I'm happy to have that problem. Um, so yeah, it's the student body has responded so well, and everyone is so surprised at how big of an issue this is because I think most people generally don't um, think much about it or know much about it, considering a lot of these 
a lot of the students here are probably not familiar with this themselves, uh, probably haven't gone through it, at least relative to the rest of the community here, we're, you know, well off. Um, and I think that's the most important part about this to me is that it's very difficult for someone that's well off to kind of cross that barrier into the experience of someone who has never had a decent place to live, who is in a food desert, who wonders where their kid's next meal is going to come from. So the fact that we can take, you know, our students into these communities that are around campus that, you know, actually experience the world as it is, not, you know, this like kind of catered campus experience, um, that is really important to me. And I think that that is what keeps people coming back. But we haven't done a a study on it. I don't know exactly how to, but just from eyeballing it, our retention is pretty close to 100%. I have not had anyone come to just one event. Um, and I think that is due to that experience that reels these students back in and, and humbles them, but then also kind of encourages them to keep doing what they can so that's why they keep coming back. That's so great. And it's really exciting because, you know, the reality of this is that you're truly helping and serving the community, right? People who are really need, in need and um, hopefully helping transform them into greater uh, food security. While at the same time, you're transforming the students too. The students get transformed in the process. and. Um, and that's, that's what being a human is all about, to being changing and growing and transforming into a better self. So it's great you're giving them that opportunity. So, you know, Robert, through doing this, how has this changed your opinion of our food systems? Um, it has gotten much worse. Um, I started, I'm from a very rural community. I live on a farm in Hocking Hills. So my pretty much the only understanding I had of the food system was farmers, which I loved and they were part of my family and all that stuff. And I saw that, you know, the, the great things that can come of that and kind of their work ethic and, and the things that they struggled with. And, but then, you know, when we started this and we didn't necessarily know what we were talking about when we started it, but, you know, we set out to learn about it. Um, it's much worse than just my ideal, of, my very happy view of family farmers and all this stuff. You know, there's a lot more to it than that. And there are a lot of things that are so bad and it's frustrating because it doesn't have to be this way. Right. You know, when, when we learn about different issues related to food, uh, food wastes, a food waste, food deserts, um, kind of the way that we've treated African-American farmers over the years, uh, the, some of the stuff the USDA has done, uh, the way that we price food, the way that we distribute it, the way that we grow it, how it takes, you know, your meal is probably traveling 2000 miles before it gets to you and the emissions of that cause and all that stuff. So um, my overall opinion of the food system is really poor. And I think that that is probably, if you could ask that question to anyone that 
is involved with this issue and they're going to have that opinion of it. That's kind of one of the things that I've learned is that everyone, everyone has different solution ideas, but that is the universal thing here is that people do not like the way the food system in the United States works. Mm. What do you think, you know, just kind of piggybacking on that question in your, in your very insightful response, you know, if you had to prioritize two or three of the biggest challenges, what do you think they are? Well, um, I think how consolidated everything is doesn't help anybody. Um, you will learn anyone that has ever had to have a background in econ or development. Uh, monopolies are not good for anyone. And our food system has been monopolized for the past you know, few decades. And it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't, it hurts farmers because there are less people, there are less processors to sell their um, livestock to. It doesn't help um, markets because there are not local places to get produce. So they're buying it from California, Florida. Um, it doesn't help consumers because of the prices and then kind of the emissions that it has acquired just getting to you. It's not as fresh as it could be. Um, it's not as good for you because uh, you know, you've got to do something to it to make it last you know, longer. Um, so that is one of the biggest issues. I think that any local ag organization, urban agriculture, community garden, they would also agree with that, that our food system is not local. Um, and that is probably one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, we have at least in the cities, we've got plenty of vacant land. And then we also have people that are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. And it doesn't take much thought to get to, well, why aren't we using all this vacant land to grow food in these cities? And then we can distribute it with, you know, less than half of the emissions that it would take to fly it here, probably much less than that. And uh, it would be cheaper. It would encourage people if if a kid grows kale he'll eat kale you know what i mean the opportunities of having a local food system and community gardening urban agriculture uh it goes a lot deeper than just people having food available to them you know if, if you there's educate i would love to see long term every elementary school every middle school and every high school have a garden right next to the school and the kids are out there and every single one of them learns how to grow their own food and then i would promise you that they're going to eat those fresh vegetables because they've been putting the work in here them um so that's another challenge is that you, you don't have uh, young people especially do not have that experience home ec has been kind of cut universally across the country so you have a whole generation of people that don't know how to prepare food and especially fresh food so they tend to make less healthy eating decisions mm -hmm. uh, that's also true for rural communities because there are not as many grocery stores places places like dollar general kind of have killed off a lot of those uh, rural markets um, food waste is another huge challenge that is just um, it'll just make you sick because it's one of those things that is it's, you know, it's made up. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way, but the way that we go about it, we've made kind of a food system that we, we cater to Americans being picky in their food choices. 
and there's a lot of psychology and the way that people consume um it's called um i forget the exact term but it's something to do with abundance so grocery stores will intentionally overstock because no one wants to buy the last of something so even though they know they don't need as much produce as they always have stocked they will stock it full to the brim just because of the cosmetics of it and people will more be more likely to buy the produce just because you know people impulse buy they go to a grocery store they like look at some beautiful piece of kale or whatever and then they're like oh i'll get it um so yeah i would say so food waste monopolization um kind of generational gaps in education uh things like that are probably the biggest challenges that we face so very insightful and you give us a lot to think about around that. And, um, and, and I'm so glad you've mentioned farmers because we're having a, a, a much, in public health, a, a much greater realization that we need to invite farmers and people from the ag sector to the table when we talk about nutrition and providing access to accessible, um, access to affordable, healthy, balanced diets. So how do you think we could change our food system while also protecting our family farmers. Yeah, so, um, so I'm from a family farm. Um, one of the big challenges here is the fact that most family farmers are probably doing, um, or most of the farmers that are left in the United States, it's kind of important to note that there are not, it's a pretty sharp decline. Mm -hmm in the past 30 years or so, um, since the seventies, a lot of farmers are doing commodity crops um, and they're not making much money on it, you know, corn and soybeans. So the government subsidizes them. So to me, it doesn't make much sense that um, we subsidize farmers to grow things that um, don't make much money or make any money when we, don't necessarily have enough fresh produce to go around. Um, it's not as simple though as them just switching growing produce. You know what I mean? That's not, uh, you don't grow kale and harvest it with the combine. You know, that's not how it works, but um, money's there. You know what I mean? The, the money that we subsidize farmers with, it's, it's, it's there. It's kind of all about priorities. You know, what do we want to prioritize? Do we want to prioritize, uh, agriculture kind of the way that we have done it the past 30 years it doesn't seem to be working it doesn't it doesn't seem to be saving these family farmers because they keep going under um so i think of just a shift in priorities is what's important here um if we shifted our priorities to a local food system uh, the government could choose to subsidize local producers and in turn subsidize markets, grocery stores to encourage them to buy local. And, and people would like to buy local too, you know, but it's just a matter of, they probably don't have, only certain people have the money to do it. Um, so the government would need to choose to prioritize that. And then the government would also need to prioritize, you know, helping farmers that are doing commodity crops, um, to help them transition if they want to if they want to keep doing that then you know they should be able to and it would probably but it would be good if some of them 
got out because you know the prices are so low. So what happens is these farmers will intentionally produce as much as they can because they just want to make ends meet. But the problem with that is that does not help the pricing because they have just they create a surplus when they do that. So then it just drives the price even lower. Um, so if if some of them got out of that, if the government kind of helped them get out of that and shifted their priorities, um, I think that would be a win-win for everybody. Um, the government also needs to take action against kind of the monopolies that have dominated the ag industry. Um, there are, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but there are a handful of meat processing plants, very few, less than 10. And what that does, that doesn't help anybody, you know, because I mean, we saw with COVID one shut down and the entire country had a meat shortage for like three months and the price and the prices skyrocketed. Um, so that doesn't make any sense. And then it makes it much harder for these farmers too, because they have less options. So of course they're going to get kind of the short end of that stick. Mm -hmm. So they get uh, low prices just so supermarkets can kind of get, get that profit out of them. Um, mm -hmm. But that would also require government action. You know what I mean? Like they would have to prioritize making it easier for more people to enter that market. Um, so long story short, this whole conversation kind of centers around like our government needs to change its priorities as far as our food system goes. Um, so that's why it's really important for organizations like this and other organizations to kind of say that as loud as they can because there is only so much community gardens can do right I, they provide a lot of hope but you want systematic change mm -hmm. and kind of these community gardens food pantries they provide that immediate relief which is important and, and you need it but then we need like long-term change mm -hmm. and the one of the biggest ways that you do that is you know government funding you know the that that really is the key there you know what i mean so mm -hmm. um like i said it's priorities right right yeah very insightful because in hunger and food insecurity issues we definitely need to have take immediate action because we have people that are hungry right and and we have to do what we can to feed them but we have to make sustainable changes so that the system recalibrates to um, be able to consistently help everyone in need and and prevent them from ever getting in need, right? You know what I mean? So that they don't have to experience that. Well, you kind of alluded to this some, Robert, but what are your thoughts on the rise of urban agriculture? Yeah, so urban ag, we just talked about that at a safe meeting because I, our first meeting, we kind of talked about how the, the scope of the issue, and I could tell at the end of the meeting, people were kind of depressed and sad. So urban ag is the thing that we talk about the meeting after to kind of like lift people's spirits up a little bit. Right. Um, urban ag is, for people that are not aware, is kind of the relatively new trend in the past 10 years. Community gardens have skyrocketed um, all over the country, especially in major cities, um, in places like Detroit, in places like Dallas, in places like Columbus, in places like Cleveland, in places, you know, all over the country where there is kind of this 
one of the symptoms of disinvestments of community is, you know, vacant lots. So community members eventually come to the realization that like, okay, we have food needs and we've got six lots in just this neighborhood that are totally empty and no one's using them. So community members have basically decided they were going to do something about their food security and start community gardens, uh, pantries, you know, whatever. And I think it provides a lot of hope because one thing that we see, a lot of these are not just community gardens. Um, you can, since the land is cheap, you know, these organizations can buy up this land, uh, treat it well. A lot, a lot of times it needs some work to get the uh, ground a little bit more fertile. Um, you can make money growing produce there. You know what I mean? Especially if you're doing it organically. Um, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll grow the produce, they'll sell it cheap to the people in the community, and then they'll take SNAP benefits too. Um, that's one of the good things that is available to community gardens is that people can use their SNAP benefits. So it makes it affordable for them. It makes it to where they don't have to go um, take the bus, you know, three miles or whatever to the nearest grocery store and log all that back because that's not uh, reasonable for a lot of people, especially the elderly or the handicapped. So having local food so available, um, having the experience of growing your own food and being able to learn through, through service how to grow your own food, um, that is really revolutionary for communities. And these organizations make money doing it. You know, they grow that produce, they give it to community members, and then they go down the road to kind of the suburbs at a farmer's market and then sell it to the rich people there and make, you know, their money. And then they do all that while, you know, helping the local community. So urban ag is one of the most hopeful things about kind of our food system that I see. Um, people are slowly just realizing through experience that local is kind of the way to go and how it can be done in a sustainable way and a profitable way that lifts people, lifts burden off of people. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't have uh, people that are inclined to go to the dollar store to get, you know, TV dinners, right? Uh, very processed stuff, salty foods. Um, they can go just down the street and get fresh produce. So yeah, that's probably the most hopeful thing. And um, yeah, that's, I think, I think what's interesting in that too is, and, and I've seen some of this, I wish I could remember, there was a, to all of our Canadian listeners, there's some really amazing programs in Vancouver that I've seen how people have taken urban agriculture and they grow all this amazing produce and they sell it to restaurants and to ho hotel chains and, and all of this. And it really provides for the community it also connects people to their food source, which is so nice to see, right? Because you kind of alluded to this, that we're ever more and more in America disconnected from our food source, where food comes from, right? And how it, and how, how it ever grows, right? And so this serves like multiple purposes, you know, to bring community health and wellness to a wide range of people in a community. So it's, and it's at a very on a very fundamental human behavior, growing food, you know, growing and harvesting and preparing food. So um, it's great. 
Well, listen, as we wind down, we always end our podcasts with this kind of question. So for you specifically, it's incredibly admirable that you've done this as a full-time college student. You've organized this whole group. You're serving your university. You're serving your city, right? So what suggestions would you have for other college students around the world to help them organize an action like yours to address food insecurity on their campus or in their community? Well, first off, uh, I would challenge people to kind of dream big. Uh, when we were talking about our food system earlier, I, I can't help but imagine how amazing it would be if every elementary school, middle school, high school had a garden right next to it and everyone was growing food and people from the university come and maybe help kickstart it and show them things about it and let them learn to grow their own food. I, I can't help but kind of imagine community gardens instead of vacant lots where uh, communities that have been dis disinvested for years kind of um, take action and help themselves and meet their food security needs and also make money and have jobs available to them and have um, opportunities to kind of just get outside and get a fresh breath of air and calm down, you know, from this like crazy world that we're living in. We're living in these really difficult times right now for everyone. And I think that one of the hardest things for people right now is just to be hopeful about the future. Um, one quote that I'd want to share, um, I was in, I was in church three years ago with Jimmy Carter and well, no, it would have been, it would have been more than three years ago. It was right after 2016. It was in 2017. And someone asked him how he remains hopeful for the future. And at the time, the only thing we were depressed about was the 2016 presidential election. You know, we had no idea what, <laughs> what was coming. Um, but anyway, he shared a quote from Ralph Abernathy. And he said, I don't worry about what the future holds because I know who holds the future. And I love that quote and I've shared it all the time because that Ralph Abernathy is talking about God, but I share that all the time with college students because they kind of want to take the world in their hands, you know, and do something about it. So people can interpret that, you know, as, you know, I hold my own future and to some extent everybody else's. So um, I'd encourage people to dream big. I'd encourage people to stay hopeful um, and just get involved. And it doesn't have to be to the extent that, you know, this club has, but I would just encourage everyone to at least try to volunteer at a community garden or a food pantry once. And I promise you that you will probably end up going back. But that's what happened to me. And I think that's what happened to almost, well, everyone that's in our club. Our retention rate is insane, you know, so there's something about it. Um, lead by example and then kind of do what you can to meet people's needs and to hear their experiences and to stay humble and to relate to people on a human level and understand their experiences and where they're at, where they're from and where they want to be. So, yeah, but mainly stay hopeful. Yeah, that's great advice, Robert. I mean, it's pivotal, critical advice. Dream big, stay hopeful, get involved, get connected. And what you're, I think what's cool about what you and all your colleagues at Ohio State have done 
um, you're connecting with each other. So you're, you're building human connection amongst yourselves and with your community and you're connecting to earth. You're connecting to, to, to the soil and to the earth and to water and to food, right? To, 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 help, um, to help increase um, food access and food awareness. So that's really wonderful. Well, my friend, you've done a great job and wow, I can't wait to see where you go. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you have a lot of insight and a lot of wisdom and um, you've already done great things and are doing things to change the world and make the world a better place. And uh, all of us here at Community Solutions will be excited to follow you to see where you end up, where your journey takes you. So to you and all the members of SAFE, Tell, tell them thank you so much on behalf of everyone here at Community Solutions and keep up the good work. And we're excited to see where you all end up going. All right, all right. Take care everyone. Thanks for listening.